Hello, and welcome to the Three Wise DMs podcast, where three dungeon masters who've been doing this for way too long talk about how we handle all the tricky ins and outs of running a game of D&D or whatever else you might play. I'm Thorin, and like my namesake from The Hobbit, I suppose I'm leading this expedition. And I'm joined by... Tony and Dave. Guys, thank you very much for joining me again. And today, we're going to be talking about our first forays onto Roll20. So... All three of us, and if you caught the last episode, you know, Tony, Dave, and I, we're all Dungeon Masters. We play with different groups, but we also play with each other. We DM each other. We play in each other's games, and we DM some some external games with other players. So we have experience DMing a broad, uh, a broad variety of players, different age groups, um, different games, different game types, different kinds of players. However, before COVID-19, we were all primarily tabletop Dungeon Masters. So... Like most of America, over this this last couple of months, we've had to social distance and move our games into the virtual world, and we've all decided to do that on Roll20, uh, with varying levels of success and, I would say, satisfaction with the platform. So today we're going to go into that. We're going to talk about some of the what we think of Roll20, what we think of using it. Keeping in mind there are other platforms out there, but I don't think any of us have gotten on any of those yet. Certainly interested in it. No. Uh, no, yeah, yeah, I don't think Antonio, no. you've never used like uh, any of the other tabletops, right? Fantasy no. grounds or anything? No. no. Uh, yeah. In the day, and I know in the day, Tony ran a game via AOL Instant Messenger, I think, right? <laughs> I did a couple online games prior yeah. to this, but nothing <laughs> with an interactive virtual world like World Twenty. Well, yeah, yeah. I'm playing a, a play by text, but I don't think that also counts in the same way as this Plague Cast does. Well, but you know what? They're good background though, because so so. For myself, I don't think I have ever tried to do an to run an online game. Um, Tony, I remember back in the day. I remember you talking to me about the Dragon Ball Z game you were setting up, and mm -hmm. also I think wasn't there a vampire game you played in online? A right, a couple. couple. I, yeah. Vampire the Masquerade. There's uh, something. It was a knockoff of that. It was a little homebrewed, but okay. I played yeah in a Dragon Ball Z RPG which I ran. Uh, had a ton of players that just all came out of the woodwork. And they're like, hey, I'm in. Here's my character. <laughs> and um, did a vampire RPG, which was – I did a couple of them. Both of them were pretty uh, role-play heavy. Uh, so really nothing like this where we're interacting with a intricate, involved um, environment like Roll20. So they didn't get any of your, like, wonderful Romanian dialects or anything like that? Uh, the blah blah nothing because i'm uh, loving it on the strut i'm just i'm i'm soaking that up <laughs> no um we didn't that wasn't voiceover chat even at the time yeah that's how that's old a, we're talking about i mean we're talking eight we're talking the old school aol instant messenger desktop chat application right i mean we're talking before cell phones before smartphones i think yeah, yeah absolutely For that stuff yeah but later yeah, we you had different be, chat clients you had to worry about how many hours you were playing and how many hours of the CD you had left, right? <laughs> our older, was after, no, no, our was older listeners that. will understand that. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, so so Dave, and now you've recently, though, you've been doing uh, a 5e game uh, over, over text, right? Over SMS? Yeah. Um, Chris, my brother, my older brother, who's also playing in the one game, uh, he decided to do a play-by-text game because I had actually told him how interesting it was to play because in our other game, the Slaver's Bay one that you were mentioning last time, yeah, two of the players couldn't make it the one game. 
And, you know, you always run into that, what do you do with experience and what, do you, you know, you don't want to reward players who can't show up. But, you know, if something happens, it happens. So we had three weeks or so between games and I sent a text out to him saying, hey, if you guys want, this is what you're doing. Because we had in essence split the party for story's sake. And yeah. I took them through. Uh, it was a very small dungeon crawl. Uh, but a dungeon crawl with the two of them. And it was actually surprisingly uh, good. I enjoyed some of the narrative aspects that is required with uh, play-by-text or, I guess, play-by-instant messenger, you know, yeah. because you don't have the ability to to wax poetic about your, uh, you know, what you're seeing. So I enjoyed that. So I've been playing in, a, uh, in an Asian-inspired one with the Brothers Chen. So... <laughs> classic classic hong kong movie they go in to rescue their master is their master in danger and they have to save him now we were under this uh this daimyo in uh in uh nampashima and uh we uh stuff went down because there was a new shogun being in place and there was power struggles so um we had to we had to get out of there and now we're i think we're attempting to assemble some sort of legendary sword right now so but right now we're just getting our asses handed to us by the Asian uh, Asian type of uh, Dwargar, in essence. <laughs> so you know, and that's and it's it's really cool you guys have done that. It's it's not something I got into too much, um, but it's just you know also for our listeners. So setting the level there as far as what we have done. So Pete, you know, you guys had engaged in different kinds of online text-based role play. None of us had really done the video and audio online tabletop kind of thing that is Roll20. Um, no. So what do you think? I mean, uh, I don't know, Tony, you want to start off here? What, what were your impressions uh, when, when uh, we moved on to Roll20? And just for you, so your game was a brand new game. Uh, we got, uh, you, you got um, uh, uh, Storm King's Thunder. And you're running Storm Ooh. King's Thunder with the stuff with all the with with all the stuff on Roll Twenty. So, what are your impressions coming into this platform from the tabletop? Well, a couple things that I really liked about it. Um, you can really interact with the environment. So, the first place, without any spoilers, in the Storm King's Thunder is you go to the town of Nightstone, and you can literally go into the inn, go up to the second floor, and you can see all these rooms exactly how they are. And there's yeah. something really impressive mm -hmm. by that. The amount of material that are in these purchased Roll20 modules, yeah, yes. they, they're worth their salt. That's my yes. gut reaction on that. Um, a second thing I was very impressed with that tied into that is every monster and every NPC in the entirety of the Storm King's Thunder is at my fingertips. So yeah. I want to throw it up. There's some encounters. I want some ogres. I want a goblin. And I want an orc. Well, here they are. Bing, bing, bing. I got their tokens. I got their sheets. It all is very accessible and usable. And uh, finally, the thing I, I really do appreciate about using Roll20 and this purchased material for the module is that I'm not burning a ton of time creating maps, which was a 4E death trap. <laughs> I would spend at least a third of my my prep time making maps where I'm like losing my mind. I'm like, I want to be working on the story. I want to be expanding plot lines. I want to make sure that the, the story's going to have its flow and will hit its notes. And instead, is this, is this a river? Is this a tree? I can't draw my way out of a brown paper bag. Like, it, it was some hard times. <laughs> and a lot of thrown out craft paper. Uh, craft so paper. <laughs> 
You know, so it, it's it's funny because your campaign starts with a with a with a set module. My campaign actually did not. So mm. we moved probably you know we we moved a uh, we moved a tabletop game that had been going on for over a year. Uh, probably might be be closing in a year and a half now. Um, and we moved it online. It's seven players now. Mm. Everyone made it, which was great. Because we had another game where we said, hey, let's get together to see how the system's going to work. And like half the party didn't bother. Um, So this was nice that, you know, everyone made it. Everyone's into it. Everyone got the technology working on their devices. We have some people playing by via 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 iPad. Some people playing by desktop. I'm playing by laptop. Um, But I'm doing it. So what I generally do is I'm grabbing maps online. And it's nice because in Roll20, you have actually you actually have a search functionality that will go get you stuff online. So if I say if I'm in that if I'm in the the, the kind of the assets uh, area and I type in I search for, you know, lake map. Well, it'll give me it'll throw up like three maps that I would need to pay for. And then below that, it'll throw up a bunch of maps from the Internet. And I can just grab that map and pop it right on the map. Like pop it right on the grid, stretch it, and you guys are there. So I like that. I like how flexible it is. And I do that with monsters too. I like to grab the tokens. Like I use the top-down tokens, not the circular ones. Mm-hmm. So even when I'm doing this off the cuff, fairly off the cuff, uh, I'm able to pull stuff in without too much of a weight. Um, so it's not too bad. It seems like it is easier for you with the with the uh, with, with the package module, though. And I do wish I had that. It's a shame I don't. <laughs> maybe I'll get, maybe I'll maybe I'll spring for one one of these days. But as we've talked about, I don't generally run package stuff. I usually run my own stuff, and I haven't put that investment into Roll Twenty when I'm looking forward to going back to the tabletop. But it has been. It's it's it was surprisingly easy to throw a map out there throw monsters on the map um we ran into some trouble with the technology uh my laptop i'm running it off is not very robust it's only got about four gigs of memory and it hits weird problems uh processing websites so there are some times where i'm trying to put four monsters out in the player characters and the time it takes to register each thing hitting the table is like 30 seconds which drives me crazy um i don't necessarily blame roll 20 for that but it is maybe it is it is a little bit of a heavy system uh, from that point of view. Um, the other thing is, you know, we've, we had all sorts of sound problems with it. So we Mm. actually had to, we have to get together, we get together on roll 20 and then we turn off the video and the audio on roll 20. We all, we all mute ourselves. And then we go to zoom and we actually get together and do the audio portion of it on zoom because the roll 20 audio was, you know, we got seven players in that and it just, um, we have one player who just can't connect. Like, like, like for whatever reason, the computer that player is using does not talk to roll 20. Um, so we, we've had, we've had some mixed results from it. It's cool that it's great to have this, this, uh, this table, this tactical map you can put out there and set up pretty easily. You can grab monsters and I'm literally using roll 20 with the books in my lap and the notebook in my lap. So I'm using it like I was still at the table ad living with my players. Um, however, we've hit some tactical problems and I would also say as a DM, and I said this to you guys before this, I kind of hate it. <laughs> it mm. That's just my opinion. I find DMing in Roll20 to be very tactically focused and draining. Like, I mean, I love the, the player engagement um, most of the time. Uh, you know, people at home sometimes have more, have more distractions. Um, but man, I do not get the same kind of, uh, I do not get the same kind of improv energy boost 
that I get from playing a game with players in person on Roll20. And I feel almost like I'm DMing 4E again, where everything is a tactical map battle. And I just go tactical battle to tactical battle with some interconnected RP like role playing, but not a lot. Like it's very combat focused now because the centerpiece is this interactive map. So, you know, that's kind of my two cents. Um, yeah, Dave, what do you think? So I am going to just uh, I'm going to make the, the disclaimer that I think we should. Uh, you made the first part of the disclaimer earlier where it said we haven't none of us have played any other online platforms. Uh, I've heard yeah. amazing things about things like Fantasy Grounds and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, what I have heard from most of those systems is they are all pay to play. So what yeah. I will say and I'm going to give Roll20 all the kudos in the world because what we are currently debating is something that they say here you go we have this completely free and open platform that you can s sign in and play to your heart's content you know so the buggy issues um i actually wonder if if we had a subscription how much does that change some of the the the, the platform hmm. including even audio video i don't know but they've literally given this entire playground be like here you go enjoy so i'm going to give them the kudos for that i first started playing around with roll 20 uh using it as a virtual tabletop in live games uh i was running a short um couple night one-off of a uh a marvel superheroes um adventure that i had written ah, okay. um and i was able to pull in maps and put them up onto the big screen with tokens and stuff just to kind of give it a comic book flair, you know, as opposed to just theater of the mind or or finding the old uh, the old fold out map that came with the, the yellow box. But uh, so that was my first in my first foray into it. But just now, uh, you know, when we started uh, the Curse of Strahd module uh, with you guys, um, and that's the one you're DMing. So you say, yeah, you're DMing. The, yeah, the, that's the, the one I'm running. Uh, Curse, of, Curse of Strahd box, yeah. And I got, um, I also, just like Tony got the Storm King's Thunder module, I grabbed the Curse of Strahd module. Uh, and I can't, I can't fault them. It was like, I, I think it was 25 bucks. They yeah. gave, because I have the book as well. They gave you everything. And I'll go right back to what Tony was saying. Um the maps, because you're distance, because you are playing over, you know, 50 square miles, let's say, right? The ability to have, let's say, the death house and the mansion, that that ability to, ooh, and open up this and open up that room and open up that room, I, I find gives a level of immersion uh, when you can't be at the table. Um, and also, I can't print out all those maps to have on the table at the right thing for the minis no. and the blah, 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 yeah. right, and all that, you know. Um, so I really dig that. Um, we are having uh, Tony's game, the Storm King's Thunder, we're having almost no issues with the audiovisual. Uh, yeah. Everybody logs in, boom, don't, done. Don't jinx this, please. No, Thank I'm not going to no. wood. I'm not going to wood if you uh, say that. Yeah. Uh, with Thorin's game, um, it's tough. We're we're dealing with a lot of of varying ages and a lot of varying, I think, tech ability as well, um, as well as you know uh, interfaces. Uh, and with Strahd, we finally said, uh, let's just move over and we opened up a Zoom account um, 
But even still, everyone is still able to completely utilize the the platform. Uh, I've been loving it, though, and I'm loving the Storm King's Thunder one, um, having never played it live, right? Not, this yeah. group has not played live, and no, I don't no. think it's missed a beat myself. Um, but I think that says a lot about the players, too, you know, as well as the DM. But, you know, it's a, it's a much more experienced group, so... And I will say the one thing that's nice about players coming into in our situation where we're all playing and re- we're all playing in, you know, real games at real tabletops and we've all got a social distance for a little while. So we jump online and, you know, the players who made it really wanted to make it work. And I think that, mm. that goes for all the games we're playing. Um, yeah. Whereas, yeah. you know, we talked about there was, you know, the, the one issue we ran into the one game. And I feel bad, Dave. This is the game you run, but it's yeah. got a bunch of my friends in it. <laughs> so I was like, "Hey, Dave, can you run a game for me and some of my buddies?" Yeah, it's ha- half and half, half and half. And then, and then yeah. half of them don't show up. Um, yeah. So we were we were doing the setup call, and like, and 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 three of the people I brought in out of a, I guess, a six person party didn't make the setup call. So that's when we kind of said, okay, we'll come back to this when we can do it in person again. Um, but the people who have made the, who have made the commitment and jumped over to the roll 20 to, to playing roll 20, they're there every time. We're all really happy. We can do this from home. We don't need to go over anyone's house. Although I do miss going over someone's house. Um, and at the same time, you know, actually as a player, I love it, especially for um, in the Storm King Thunder. I'm playing that. Uh, I'm playing a samurai. He's a very tactical player, a very tactical character. Having uh, the grid correction, in front of me. A bugbear samurai. A bugbear samurai. I think you need to say that. <laughs> I think that's with, important. With a pole arm to abuse 15 foot reach. Um, <laughs> Battlemaster. Uh, one of these days, I got lunging strikes, so I can take 20 foot reach attacks and still be melee attacks. <laughs> Um, I don't have it yet. Not yet. One day. Um, but you know, having the ability to play that on a tactical map is really, really handy because he would not play it all the same way if we were doing it on a, uh, kind of, kind of theater of the mind style, which yeah, is usually my preferred true. style. Yeah. I mean, he's very tactical. And if I had played a monk, that would have been very tactical too. In the other game I'm playing the warlock, he's not very tactical, but it's still a lot of fun. You know, we went through the death house the other night. That was great. You know, um, Tony, you guy you're playing there is, is, is he intentionally Hulk Hogan? Is that what we have here? Um, spoilers. Yeah, geez, I'm throwing spoilers out in the game. You can't, you can't put that in me. Uh, I think we've started calling him Hulk Hogan. His name is Hulk. No, literally, Hulk I mean, all of you guys jumped on it and realized it very quick, much quicker than I thought. I thought there was going to be a larger reveal, but uh, yeah. But you know, but that's a funny, that's an interesting role-playing thing that is absolutely coming through on Roll20. You know, it's not like we're hamstrung in the playing of this character. Tony hinted that his dude kind of kind of a pro wrestling kind of personality. And we're all throwing out mean gene gifts. We're playing. I am a real American whenever he goes into rage. And it's all working on Roll20, which is a really beautiful part of that platform. Um, Yeah, I will. I will say I think that's one of the things, too, that with Roll20 or I'm going to guess we're just going to say Roll20 and we're saying any other online platform in the end right well but i, but, I also think you know we, we made it clear in the beginning we've only played on roll 20 we yeah. can't speak knowledgeably about these other platforms we i assume they work as i assume they work the same Similarly, way this is, right this is yeah. more about if you're coming from a tabletop to the yeah. online situation what this is what our experience has been yeah what i'm saying though too is that i think what it, it allows too is 
any level of, of however much you want to utilize it, you can. If you wanted to literally make it a theater of the mind, you could. And you could just have like some splash art things as the background. And then maybe yeah. a map here or there if you really needed it and otherwise not have to do it. All the way to complete tactical maps that are, I mean, like, you know, dungeon crawls that are, you know, with the fog of war and all of this kind of stuff. So I think it allows a level of how much do you want to? Like for me, <clears throat> Tony was saying he loves having the the things right at the, the touch of his fingertips. And I dig that too, but I still, I, I'm still organic. I like pen and paper and dice. I've been rolling my physical dice. I've been keeping track. I've been opening the monster manual. You know, I've been, I still have the Strahd book open. I have access to all of that stuff if I need to, but I haven't been using the online rollers and things like, including in Tony's game. I still like rolling dice, you know, and as long as people are cool with that, the DM and stuff, it yeah. allows you to. At the same level, Bonnie, my girlfriend, who's playing in both games, has, once she started to realize how much is available and it was mainly through the Stroud one because I couldn't be playing on the same system right uh she was like oh it does this and it does this yeah. and it does this and it does this and it does this <laughs> and she's so tech savvy that like that was really starting to get her get her going you know so I think it's I think that's nice it allows whatever level you don't have to be utilizing all of the maps and all of the you know yeah. And that's actually, that's a great point. So, and I think because you're in a lot of the players, in fact, I think most of the players are actually rolling physical dice in front of themselves. Like I said, when I DM, I'm using a physical monster manual in front of me and I'm just using the table to kind of show where things are and communicate. And I do my yeah. rolling in there. So Tony, how yeah. do you, uh, what do you think? How are you, I mean, how, how are you kind of using the interface compared to what you do with the, with the physical stuff? Well, one thing I have to say is I'm fine with Dave rolling dice uh, remotely because his die rolls cannot possibly be fudged because they're so bad. The most masochistic cheater of all time. It was two ep two uh, episodes ago. I think I I think I shot my crossbow and didn't hit a single freaking time. And I think I, I shot it like twenty eight times. Terrified being at a party with you while you're using a live crossbow. Um, Thank God there's no critical hits in fifth edition. No, don't start. Don't start. We would have killed don't half start. the party. <laughs> that, that's another whole thing. Um, before I get to my final thoughts on uh, roll twenty, um, my big one of my biggest complaints are that, and of course, I'm using the free version, and I haven't really delved super deep into this, but I've had some real critical errors with using this platform for example and as you guys are aware i've there's times when i got to set up a whole map and i was being really intricate i accidentally moved the whole map over 40 yards and i'm like whoops okay that's minor stuff i've deleted entire maps and i'm like okay i'm gonna be running a game in 30 minutes the second place they're going to has been deleted i've just got a bunch of tokens out in white space now and i'm scrambling to try to figure out how to restore it so you my tip the crowns. Here, you can just grab the, the gra grab those rolling tool and just scribble like you're doing a crown map if you want to <laughs> yeah. crowns. I, I saved that 11th hour because i found that map online i mean if there's a master bank where these things are hidden in roll 20 from where you purchased them I'm not aware of it. So I found the map online, dropped it, stretched it, re, re uh, fit it, snapped it to grid, and it was okay. It was a little blurry. It didn't have the same quality. Uh, so my advice here is, guys, when you're using Roll20 as a DM, as a, as a player, it's pretty seamless. As a, as a DM, 
you are using live rounds when you're touching things. <laughs> That's live true. Round. I like that. I like that. That's the, un the undo button works sometimes, and sometimes you click one too many times, and you're effed. So that is a that's a consideration where you um, could delete something that you really wanted to. Uh, the, the fact that there's no save function as a guy with a programming background that kind of blows my mind. That's like the most obvious thing you want is a save function. Like, oh, I didn't save my work and I deleted it. What a dumbass I am. I'm like, I just deleted it. Of course, I can go back. Right. As we've We're said, too, I think that might be. I, Thorne has said this, I think. That I think is. that might be one of the subscription services, though, too. So again, we're 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 not sure necessarily how much robustness sure. is within the, the the platform, but yeah, there is a restore. So if you if you do get the the premium version, there is a restore function, and uh, and just to make sure everyone knows, we are not being paid by Roll Twenty. No, no, we're going over no. we're going over some of the words. But they're welcome here. to pay us if they'd like. Yeah. Let me throw no, that out there. But, but there are there, there there is a restore function if you get the premium, which is like I forget if it's ten or twenty bucks a month. So if you get that, there is a restore function you can use that works that way. Everything else does save automatically. So it's not exactly like, oh, I dropped out and I didn't save. Like if you're cut off from the internet, your work is still is is already recorded live. That's part of why it's a little bit of a load to to run it. Um, yeah, however, I haven't run into the the erasing of the maps and I can't get them back yet. Thankfully. Oh, you will. Oh. If, so, so here's how that happens. You know, and let's break this down at a level where you know anyone listening who hasn't done this can kind of can, can understand what happened here, uh, and understand how to how to avoid it themselves. Um, so there's different layers in Roll Twenty. You have a map layer where you want to put your map. You have the token layer where you want to put your characters and your tokens, also any spell effects. And Tony, you might be interested in hearing this. There actually is. I've played in a Roll Twenty game as a player where the DM used animated spell effects. So if you cast Fireball, a Fireball animation went off on the I've screen. I've heard oh. that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know where she got that from, but uh, that that was pretty interesting. That's um, awesome. But so what this means though is you want to work with your map in the map layer, and then you set it and you get it right, and you get out of that map layer and you don't go back to it. Then you go to yeah. the token layer and everything else. Because it's not hard to restore a token, but if you're working with a bot module, and we looked this up, we did a lot of Googling to understand what happened here. But apparently if you're working with a bot module, you create the campaign with that module. And if you accidentally delete a map, you there's nothing you can do. Like, you're beat. You got to go find it online and drop it back in. There are some places to do that. I'm not going to tell everyone where they can go pirate, but if you go look around, I'm sure you could figure it out. But there are those, most of those maps are available somewhere online. Where oh, you can, you download can find all drop, kinds of maps. Yeah, which is what Tony did eventually. But you got it. You really do have to be careful about when you're on your map layer and when you're on your token layer. Because once you get your map set, you want to get out of that map layer and not go back into it. Because if you do it by accident during the game, you will move your map on the players. Uh, and I did that before. I've done that before. We've had that happen a couple times. Um, I will other... add to that too, yeah. Thorin, uh, because Tony and I have both run into this as well with the uh, purchase modules. So either Strahd, Storm King's Thunder, any of the other ones as well. Uh, they play a lot, which I actually like. I understand why they did it, but they play a ton with the GM layer as well. Yeah. Because, okay. for instance, like when you guys were going through, let's say, the Death House, and you came up and the animated armor is, you know, jumps out. The beauty is, is that when I opened that map for the first time, every single encounter was already on the map, exactly where it was going to be. And all I needed yeah. to do was hit it and advance layer to object, and there it is. And I open up, like if I open up the entire castle of Ravenloft, it has 
all the insane level of encounter stuff that's already there so I don't have to keep pulling it over like with you when you're running your own you're building your own maps and all that you have to keep pulling things over and pulling things over but you could probably play with that GM layer as well and you know drop things in and then pull them up if you needed to yeah absolutely if I was putting and I could and that's kind of part of my my complaint with roll 20 is that i really should roll 20 works best if you're prepping your 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 encounters ahead of time you know what they're going to encounter as a dm we've talked about it a little bit last month i tend not to do that i tend to ask the players what they want to do entirely throw how they want to solve their problems how they want to go about things back onto the pcs and then i ad lib from what they want to do i I give them so because it gives the players and that's my philosophy is i want the players to have total agency i want to empower whatever kinds of solutions they want to go with and if it's not going to work well i'll make that clearing game you know i'll I'll, I'll handle yeah I'm, i'm running the logic in the world essentially i'll handle how i think something would or wouldn't work but it's hard to do that in roll 20 because you do have to get back to prepping your maps and getting your minis ready. At the same time, I've solved that a little bit. And what I did was I went online and I found a bunch of maps. Like we were just talking about how you could get the maps back that, uh, that, that, that you delete in the box modules. So there are, there are Facebook groups that have maps. There are, troves of maps there are a lot of maps available if you start getting involved in like in different map making groups and things like that and there people are happy for you to use their maps they're drawing them themselves they don't even need a grid because roll 20 will put the grid on in fact you'd probably rather get a map that doesn't have a grid because the roll 20 grid will fill in just fine you can make it whatever size you want then and the way i've been dming is i've actually got about a dozen different maps set up and last game you guys saw like four of them so i just hop to a different map that i've put out there and then i just i when i you know i kind of know what monsters i want to run based on what you've decided to do based on the monster manual in front of me so i just type in i just search and grab those tokens and drop them which does take longer than i wish it did like that's where i could really use kind of to have a little more curation in my monster pool which i could do because i could go out find all the monsters i think i might want to use for that adventure put them in the asset library and just grab them and drop them because i don't need i don't need the statistics on the dm layer because um you doing most of that physically in the real world i'm actually looking at the book still Um, oh no i'm saying with the gm layer it's literally like in whatever map you have all of the stuff already placed but it's yeah. placed on the layer that the player can't see. So all you need to do is when they open that room, whoop, you you pull it to layer. It just yeah. the the prep time. Because yeah, if you're running your own stuff, I saw this when I was putting together some stuff for the Slavers Bay one, and as well with the Marvel Superheroes one that I was running. There is a ton more prep work uh, mm. because it's the only thing the players have is what's on the screen. And then what you're what you're saying, maybe theater of the mind yeah. style. So, yeah, there is a lot more prep in terms of, of tokens and, and maps and blah, 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 you know, so. But if you're doing it already, it's going to dovetail perfectly with the kind of game you run. Exactly. Yeah, you know, it's just it's a little different. Yeah. So, Tony, what, what were you going to say? Well, I think your uh, new users to World 20 will find the roughest learning curve is definitely with the layers. That's where things get messed up. Like I was trying to delete a token and I deleted the map. Those yeah. kind of things. <laughs> um, with that said, you were talking about creature pool. Um, that's a very interesting conversation point there because yeah. when I'm using the purchased materials, I found it's easier as a hack. I recommend this. Keep a bunch of the same creature types up on in the sub menu. For example, I do like goblins. Well, I got the goblin chief and the goblin 
the regular goblins there. If not, mm-hmm. if you try to get cute and you've got like an orc, a goblin, and a ghoul fighting the party for whatever reason, you're constantly flipping through submenus. I gotta type it in. I gotta bring it back up. I have to make a saving mm. throw. Especially, yeah. it's, it's it's a lot more intensity on the DM to keep that going in that combat. Um, so when you're rolling saving throws, are you basically clicking things on the monster sheet to roll the saving exactly. throw? Exactly. Yeah, so okay. when they're like, okay, like, for example, with the warlocks, like, oh, uh, Toll the Dead, so I can go, go to the orc, saving throw, wisdom save, yeah. I can go right to that, and that's very handy. For what you're doing, because you're still doing it live, that's not a problem. That gives you the better diversity of, char- yeah. of characters and monsters, but for me, because- if I'm using the, the full stat blocks, it's a, it's a drag. It's kind of a slog there, I say. Because um, what I'm doing there, just just to make sure, kind of that that you know, kind of laying out the two different ways to do this, or more than two, but mm-hmm. so what I'm doing is I'll go to the dice roller. So so roll twenty has the dice roller in that left hand menu. I'll just roll a d twenty and apply the monster modifier, just like I was rolling it behind the screen, uh, and just and then that's how like so that's all I do. It's just okay, die roller, pop out a d twenty, and just and just adjudicate yeah. like I normally would. Hit points, I do. I do put the hit points on the token, which has the unfortunate effect that the players can see the hit points, but, uh, oh, well. Um, so I do keep the hit points on the token. I will tell so you I know who's we won. can't, actually. You could in the first game. I wonder what I did differently. Well, there you go. Yeah, we don't really know. Time, it, we're it, we're it, noobs at this. <laughs> <laughs> three wise DMs are not that wise. Hey, nobody said about three wise techies. Nobody said that's not the, the name I, of the thing. I don't know. My hit points are invisible. My gosh. Well, we can't figure out because you're like you should see all my rolls. We see like only like three of your rolls. We no no one knows no one knows why we're only seeing like ten percent of your rolls is when you're the DM. By default, I'm sending them to the GM. Ah, okay, okay. Is that the way you but want it? As that- we've said, this is more about you know uh, yeah. abilities to translate into a digital thing, not the we didn't build the platform. <laughs> It's um, but you know, these these are good hacks though. For as far as like, these these are good tips for anyone coming into this platform new. And a lot of people are with COVID, and a lot of people are social distancing and desperate for a game. So if you want to jump into Roll Twenty, these are some things you can think about. You can grab a book module and have it all right there, and you're working in the platform, and it works pretty well. Or you can just grab your books and just all your really, or you can just have your books with you like you normally would behind your DM screen. It's just your computer monitors your DM screen, and then you use the use Roll Twenty to drop the maps and drop the tokens and have. And interact with the players um yeah. and we're going to talk a little somewhere bit somewhere in between like what yeah. i'm doing yeah yeah where i'm so, completely utilizing the module components but i also still and i'm doing it because i like dice and i like pen and paper and i like those things you know so i keep them and i would say more than half of our players are rolling real dice and between all the Absolutely. games i'm playing online most Absolutely. of the players are choosing to roll real dice. A couple of us are using the character sheets, which are really handy. Like, I actually love building a character online and just clicking that attack to roll that die. I think it works great. Um, but for the most part, all of us have come to the conclusion that if our player wants to roll a physical die and just tell us to die roll, we're going to trust them. Uh, you know, it's like, if you got to cheat it, yep. if you got to cheat at D&D, you know, you got other problems. I'm not going to call you on that. <laughs> uh, yeah. As I said, problem one too. As the DM, I think I'm the only one rolling real dice. The rest of you guys are using the character sheets. And I'll say one of the nice things is when I open up that initiative tracker, boom, there's all the initiatives immediately, which is kind of nice. I will say. I like that. Tony, what were you saying? Uh, on final thoughts on Roll20, I have to tell you, I kind of have the opposite feeling. Um, 
I really like it. I mean, mm. I, I am an old school player, red box. I've got my own dice I've had for a super long time. Um, when two things that really stick out to me, when a party walks into a map area, now I could throw out a description of doing theater of the mind. I love theater of the mind. I could describe a room and in five different people have five different impressions or they look at the map and go, hey, now I see exactly how far I can go back. You're, you're absolutely correct. Your bugbear would play completely different in my game with his polearm attacks because I know exactly how many spaces away. I mean, one day he'll probably get line of sight polearm attacks, and that's another whole story. <laughs> you would, you would, if we were playing theater of the mind, if we were playing in a face-to-face game, uh, I, I hate to say it, you would screw his reach deal so bad. Oh no the way! <laughs> There's, you, you'd be like, well, they're there. I'm like, okay, so I want to stop exactly here. Well, they get to hit you back. What? <laughs> Well, that's one of the things. There's a lot of things that about the online gaming that I really like. And I don't know if you guys have noticed it, uh, your experiences versus tabletop. But when we sit down and do an, a Roll20 game, we're on. I have everybody engaged 100% from beginning to end. Like, everyone is sucked into this. It's a synthesis of the story and the visual aids. Um yeah, that's the players and the DM tone, because the uh, <clears throat> same with, with the uh, Strahd game I'm running, you guys are immediately in and role-playing, but with Thorin's game, it's a little of getting getting the engine warmed up, but it kind of, that's how our live games would go. It would kind of take an hour or so for the engine to warm up, but then, boy, she'd be humming. Right. Well, but. it's a different kind of game, and and there are some there are some there are some basic differences between these three games. Um, Tony, you have the smallest party. You've got you, you got the smallest party. We're all able to hop right into roll twenty. All of us are Lots comfortable using roll twenty. We just jump in and go. And you are in and, and, and to your credit, you are really you're, you're you're a good DM at keeping the story moving, keeping players yeah. interested, describing things, snapping it along. Um, I can't wait to see where more of the story goes. Uh, and it's it's that's that's part of why that's working that way. It's the combination of fewer players. Very tech-savvy players, very focused players. We're all into our yeah. characters. None of us is just there like, hey, I want to have a good time. We're like, no, 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 no. I'm playing this dude, and I want to use his powers. I, I've been I've been planning to use this power since last week, and boom, now I get to do it. So we're all right <laughs> on it. Um, but it's also like, I mean, you move that game along really well, and you keep us in, in, in you you switch between the role play and in the combat very quickly. There's not a ton of investigation, which also helps. Like Curse of Strahd, we did bog a little bit in the uh, in the Death House. We bogged a little bit on that first floor investigation. That took a while. Everyone's role playing and investigating, but like investigative games go, they take more time with players going, oh, exactly. well, what do we do now? So yeah. that's a different thing. Well, yeah. one thing that's vastly different in Roll20 is, for example, I would just say if I was in a tabletop game, and I actually as a DM, I always hate this, like, well, I just searched the room. Now you've got a map. Now you can see everything. Yeah, the room is huge. Searching. You just don't just willy-nilly search the room. You go, what, what does that mean? You go into every cabinet, look under every rug, look in every drawer, look under the pillows, tear apart the pillows. What does that mean? And now, if they, unless they went over there and did it, they didn't do it. That's a good point. That's a really good point because uh, how many times do you, oh, I, I, I want to search the room. Well, okay, but if you search the room, what? like I was looking for a hand mixer today in the kitchen for making something for dinner. Yeah. I, I investigated that goddamn room for about 25 minutes 
So in game time, that's a whole nother random encounter because some dude just walked in while you're investigating to find whatever. <laughs> so yeah, Tone, I think that that's an excellent point. It focuses some of the um, the more openness that can happen, uh, especially if it's theater of the mind. But let me ask you guys this, because this is something I've been thinking about a lot, and it comes down to also why, like I just why when I'm figuring out distances, I let them use the whole corner to corner square. Um, do you want that? Sorry, that, that, that maybe that maybe doesn't tie back in, but do you really want them to spend that much time specifically going over nitty gritty where they search in the room? Or is it a better play experience for them to just say, look, I searched the room. What do we find? I mean, how do you how do you balance those mm. things? How do you weigh those things in your mind, Tony? Mm. Well, I have to say, as a DM, having just a bunch of guys say we search the room takes the air out of the balloon. Mm-hmm. That's just too generic. It's too easy. For example, Dave's game of the death house. We were in this creepy study. There's all this stuff going on. There's all these different objects you can interact with, different places you can look. We could fit the whole party in this one room. That was much more of an involved thing than, oh, we just search. Mm-hmm. And then what? If they didn't find it, they're annoyed because, hey, they said they searched. Goodness. I mean, that means everything. Like I said, I looked under the rug. I looked behind the paintings. You know, I fondled the statue. I mean. <laughs> I always I always worry, though, because I remember there was a game. There was a risk game we played when we were younger where the DM's like, OK, you come into this room and it's full of military hardware. Rifts is a is a sci fi game. Military hardware means hover bikes, maybe Gundams tanks I remember the spaceship thing, yeah. you, know, air, you know airplanes so i said cool what's in the room and the dm refused to describe what was in the room he just said well what do you want i want this mm. well that's not it and i finally uh. and they finally said i said well what about a tank yeah there's a tank in there i'll get in the tank i take the tank out i get killed by cops in the tank and the dm turns around and says to me well there were planes in there you should take one of those except the dm so, so that's the situation of that being taken too far. And I do work. And that is something that really kind of, I remembered obviously over mm. 25, years. Mm. <laughs> but, but that oh. was a situation where that goes wrong because while I do think it's in a situation like the death house library, where you want them to feel the tension of, okay, well, where do you look now? The flip side is a situation where I walk into a warehouse and the DM's like, yeah, there's all this stuff in here, but I don't feel like explaining it to you. So you tell me what you want and I'll tell you if it's there. And I don't know the system enough to know what I'm looking for. And then I wind up, and then he winds up telling me I made a bad decision because he didn't explain it well. Well, I think the easy fix in that situation, yes, completely for gaming system was you're looking yeah. to do a getaway. So let's discuss what your best getaway options are. Like, right. you know, I'm not going to say here's a skateboard. I mean, maybe <laughs> you should try, I don't know, this helicopter. <laughs> There's, I've, I've, I've been frustrated in many things in many games. That was that has stuck with me for years because it was so frustrating to be like to have the DM turn on and say, well, you made a stupid decision. When he That was the decision he gave. That was the option he gave you. <laughs> Like, that's not on me, dude. You sucked at that description. You failed as a DM there. And I always remember that. So, like, I always kind of keep that in mind, too, with the search. You know, there's a time when I want to ratchet it up and make them go stone by stone. And there's a time where I'm like, here's the stuff is. Here you go. Put it in your sack. Let's get moving on to the next fight. I don't know how Dave feels about that, but I definitely don't want people searching stone for stone. There's, there, there is a great right, way right to slog the game. No. Oh my God. No, there's um, <laughs> there's several things to that I think that are important. Like this, I I never played Rifts, but uh, especially anything with sci-fi or some large warehouse, 
the uh, that just sound a little more uh, adversarial DM. Like, oh, I got you because you didn't say plane. Like, that's just that that's not enjoyable for anyone. You know, I I I have all the power. I can I can stop you at any point I want. So I don't see how that's that's uh, impressive. But um, a little different if it's something where, uh, oh, I just want to search the room. Okay, well, if it's a lot of different things that maybe you might or might not find, let's see what you do find. You know, as long as it's nothing like this is something that goes back to what you had just written about, uh, Thorin, on our threewisedms.com. There is an uh, article about like, this, yes. And yeah, sort, no, sort of about uh, this. A great thing, but not letting the dice rule the game, right? So not allowing a very specific plot thing to just die. To not have to have a not have a single fail system, have a multi fail system, right? So there are mel- multiple times where plot devices can come out. I know Chris Perkins had said at one point that his characters, unfortunately, I think they threw the big quest giving NPC he had right off a freaking cliff. So he was like, okay. So it kind of told him to give some give some new ideas, right? Um, but with that, too, like in the study, I think Tony was touching on this. There's also the the thing with searching or any other skill based um, part of the game where you start to get into what uh, Matt Colville will call skill dogpiling, where, oh, well, I want to investigate. OK, I want to. OK, I want to. And it becomes yeah. this. Well, that's not enjoyable because at some point somebody's going to roll a 20. That's just statistically going to happen. Right. So it's I think it's a balance between those. But in a small room, a study in a haunted house where weird stuff is happening, you know, do you want to take the time to investigate that? I know Bonnie's character wanted to try to keep investigating that fireplace. I said, okay, you want to take another 10 minutes, you can roll again because then it costs you something. Right. Then there's a little interplay. Then there's uh, tension building. There's consequence to your actions. The world is alive. But, and that's actually, uh, and that's actually one of the things. Why did you take the plane? That's just that's jerky. Yeah. <laughs> but and that's one of the things I touched on in that article too. The idea that there is a cool Call of Cthulhu idea called the push, where one player gets yeah. to make a skill roll. If they fail the skill roll, Call of Cthulhu allows you to push, which means you get to take a second skill roll. But you got to tell the DM what you're doing to try harder. How are you pushing it to make it work? So, for instance, the obvious one is, okay, I'm trying to pick a lock. You fail to pick the lock. All right, now I try to force the lock open. I'm trying to pick it and force it. I'm trying to add pressure to it. Well, it, that's your push. But if you yeah, fail, it's a different thing. yeah. And if you fail, there's a consequence. Because if you fail, now you break the lock and you can't get it open. So, like, that's kind of how they handle that. So, so Tony, what were you? Uh, we we're going to add to that. So, uh, not letting the plot hinge on a die roll. I just in my last game let it hinge on a plot device. So in my game, in a cave, my party got really separated. Two of my guys went really south. What do you got jumped what do you mean? by a monster. Who were oh, they? Yeah, yeah. Well, two of you guys were, were exploring in the, the furthest southern portion of this cave, got attacked by a roper when the party sorceress got sucked through a portal to the far north. That so, was so that was so much tension right at that moment when Bonnie's yeah, character went and disappeared. I was just like, oh shit. This it just got real. You know what was great about that? Every single one of us was like, damn, that's our fault. 
No one blamed the <laughs> yeah. DM. No, no one, none no. of us had the impression that that was somehow an unfair encounter. Like, yeah, yeah, we, 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 we screwed up. We asked we, we, we for did that. that wrong. We, we split the party. That, yeah. We split the party. This is why you don't split the party. <laughs> so three remains, ways. Three ways. <laughs> so that left the two that were in the middle of the board decision. They got to run down and try to save the two of you guys because you were definitely in a tight spot. But you had no idea what was happening to the sorceress, who was actually trapped in an, an extra-dimensional prison. Um, but without getting lost on that point, the, where I'm going with this is I put a, I planted a book in that library, which you had spotted but hadn't claimed, yep. Yep. Um, which was basically part of your backstory. So I spent all this time yeah. putting your backstory, writing this out, bulletproofing it so there's no <laughs> plot holes. And I'm like, okay, so Dave's character is trying to break his family's curse. His character is essentially dying slowly over time. So before he could break the curse, he has to know how it started. He doesn't know that. That the beginning of that story was in a book on a shelf, which Dave had to run by to save his sister, who was stuck in extra-dimensional prison. Yeah. yeah. But see, perfect example. It there was I knew something was important with that because you were exceedingly uh lengthy with the description as I'm running by, right? Um, but I knew there was a consequence, but what would Roderick do at that moment? And there was consequence to that. And I think that's great. What I think you have also done, Tony, at least it, it seems it to me, and I know um, I know other DMs who have done it, and I would like to be able to do it more. Um, it's just how do you institute it a little bit. But the idea of skills mattering. Uh, and also being proficient in skills mattering. The idea that Sherlock Holmes walks in and gets a shitty role, and then the barbarian who can't tell the difference between blue and the number three rolls a, a nat 20 and has a plus two, let's say, and all of a sudden finds the secret door is very uh, – it takes away from some of the, the, the classes and the characters that are – uh, skill monkeys like Roderick, my bard, mm -hmm. right? He's he is a he's a skill monkey. I think I'm proficient in probably like eight different skills at this point. That's awesome. Um, but it's that allowing those players to also shine. You know, if they if this if the the investigative character wants to investigate the room, well, that's a lot different than Hawk, the Hulk Hogan barbarian, wanting to investigate the room, right? And being able to play that properly to allow characters to shine in their appropriate um, bailiwicks, I think, is also uh, important. I've definitely run into problems in games where it's like, well, you could take a skills-based character, and guess what? If those skills don't really matter, they're not, you know, scenario-changing, they're not helping really moving the story along dramatically, then you're going to avoid them. And that's, that's a shame, because that should be extremely uh, influential to the plot, and... Uh, you don't want to take that off the table. I will say with the uh, that's one of the things I liked. It made it more clunky, but it's one of the things I'm, I liked about the Pathfinder system uh, was that with their skills, they had a, a list of those. And they probably had because it was based out of like three point five. Uh, they had, I don't know, 20 different skills listed on their list and you could put different skill points in it. But some skills you could not utilize unless you were trained in them, which made it important now if the wizard is trained in that because now he actually can let's say make an arcana check right where why would a barbarian make an arcana check what the hell does he know about anything he knows how to swing sword right i you cast know. sword you know 
what we're really talking about here, when you start talking about skills and how you how you approach characters uh, searching a searching a room, what we're actually talking about here is one of my favorite parts of gaming, which is that games teach behaviors. Mm. When you have someone come in and you have shown them from past things they've missed out on that they need to search a room and be methodical about, or at least be kind of, you know, think about, okay, where all do we need to search? They learn to slow down and search things carefully and they learn their skills are going to be effective. They learn that the skills are worth focusing on and they should think about how are they going to deploy them? So they learn that type of gaming and those, and how to play a character like that because you're asking them to play the character like that. And I think that's actually a really overlooked part mm. of, of DMing. You're that's telling the characters, especially early on, you know, if the characters get the sense they missed something because they didn't look hard enough, they will slow down and start looking more. If they find something that they didn't expect to find, they will look more. It's the Final Fantasy VII thing. And Tony remembers this from Final Fantasy VII. We, uh, Final, Fantasy, Final Fantasy VII is one of my favorite games of all time, the original one. And one of the coolest things about that was every now and then, if you just searched a spot, there was a button to search wherever you were standing, you would find something, like in the middle of the street. There's actually mm -hmm. a high-level materia, that, like a high-level spell-casting item, that you can only find if you happen to hit search on this specific square. So the effect of that was you taught players of that game that they should search everywhere. And you did. And you took your time. You searched every square of everywhere you went in Final Fantasy VII. Now, that's a little overkill. You probably don't want them searching stone by stone, which, Tony, you mentioned. But through these interactions and through the what they find and what they miss and kind of that sense of, 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 of that fear of missing out, the FOMO you can cause in the party, you oh. really impact how they play their characters. And I think that's overlooked as far as a DMing skill. DMs, we think too often about what lesson can I teach them with the monsters. We don't think enough about what lesson can I teach them with you know what they find or how they can talk or who they can learn things from. Because those things all change how the players interact with your game. Tony, Tony did sure. that perfectly with Rod because I am such a skill-based character, and now I focus on that because he allowed us to get to talk our way out of the Zentarum. He mm -hmm. got a, he allowed us to talk our way out of a troll and then another troll. So now I'm like, ooh, persuasion with my plus eleven now that I have that really matters, you know. Totally changes um, the game. Mm -hmm. But then back to what you were just saying, Thorin, as well, and this, you know, do you search stone by stone? But no, but do you uh, do you focus in to make them slow down? It goes back to some of what we were talking about with, with things like the Roll20 and the maps. Um, like when you guys walked into some of those rooms in the Death House in Durst Manor, you went – Wait, what is the, what are these things here? Wait, what is that? What is that on the mantelpiece there? You know, ooh, I want to get that from you know your character. Mm -hmm. Grab one for his patron, because yeah. you and saw, those are all in the what, details. Yeah, those yeah, are all in the details. What is that over there? What's that door? Wait, we have we haven't looked in this door yet. You know, where if you're just saying it through your mind and you say this expansive thing, you've already forgotten what he said the first time around. You know. So, so I think that there's something to be to be said there with the ability to uh, to to see something uh, with a map like in in a platform like Roll20. There is. But what I would say to that, though, is you're actually by choosing which of those things you're going to do, you're actually choosing different styles of game. Mm 
So when sure. I'm doing theater of the mind, I specifically, cause that is, and just for more background, we haven't really gone into this yet. We'll get into it in a future episode. I am a, I would rather not DM with combat maps. We use them in some of the games because the players really like minis and we have a gifted mini maker who does awesome things. So yeah, you, we get to use, if he's going to make a temple, we're going to use the yeah. temple. Great. You really it. wanted that to be a theater of the mind and it went so far south from that. But a lot of what we do is still theater of the mind. Not everything. We only put out maps when we're in combat and only when they've gone far enough where you need some maps. And usually it's the players being like, all right, we're going to put some maps on the table to understand so we can keep track. I'm not doing it. Um, But, but when I'm doing theater of the mind, I am conscious of that. I try to avoid small details. I try to only use a couple big details because I know in theater of the mind, I can't count on you remembering all those things. Mm. I don't want you to. So I'm going to go detail light, but I'm going to try to make my details impressive and make them stick. So that way you want to put the game that isn't focused on, do you remember this guy's name? Or do you remember the, the, the stone that you guys found 15 adventures ago? We're going to be focused on the big things, you know, and that's mm. the kind of game I'm running. Uh, some exploration still pays off, but that's not really what that game's about. That game is more about, it's kind of an, an epic kind of, you know, stop the world from getting destroyed kind of quest. You're constantly being thrown in new places. The characters have never seen. It's more about new things, new monsters. Can you stop the quest? Can you, can you stop this bad thing from happening in time? Can you rescue this guy's friend? It's, it's a little, I guess. Yeah. I guess I call it a little more epic, you know? Yeah. Very based. Yeah. Based on the type of game and the type of players you're playing with. When you make the game more investigatory, that's a different kind of game. It's more of an investigation-focused game. If you make the game more detail-oriented, you're making – then you're – you're just shifting the focus because now instead of thinking big plot, you're telling your players focus on the little details you see on the map. And that is, they're all great, but they're all different. And it's hard to do them all together because it's, do I want my players focusing on the map or do I want them focusing on what their characters are doing up here, the big stuff going on? You can try to do both, but for the most part, you're going to need to make a choice to do either one really effectively. Um, that, at least that's what I find. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. I, I think, uh, I feel like uh, we're only, uh, what, three games in so far uh, with Strahd, but I feel like you're getting some of that because you guys are obviously because, I mean, it's right there in the name, but you already know kind of what the what the general idea is and the general quest. Um, and there's a lot of investigation to that. And yeah. as you can maybe... Uh, with some of the details, and I know I've begun to alter things, but begin to drop in certain details to tie it in to the overall giant epic, like in yours, mm-hmm. you know, this this literal, literally world-ending um, cataclysm that could happen, you know, uh, that's writ large across the sky, you know, uh, because with the types of players we're going with, it kind of has to be. It's, you know. There's that too, yeah. This is the and big is- quest. You know, and, and it is a different game. It's got several players who are first time gaming and they're and they're not, you know, and they're not always super focused. Um, so I try to bring them back and focus them. But really, the trick is big, impressive things they have to deal with. And how are they going to deal with it? Like, that's really yeah. how I'm running the game. Like one time, some kobolds ran a brontosaurus at you guys. And now the. The point is not, hey, did you notice the color of the brontosaurus collar? I'm not going to put a magical amulet on the brontosaurus you've got to pick out and remember to hang on to. No, that's not what my game's about. My game is about you've got a brontosaurus-sized problem about to trample on your party. What are you going to do? What are you doing? Yeah. And, and actually, in the players, in, in, in that, and the players solved that by actually 
by by turning the brontosaurus friendly. Speak with animals, some charm checks, if I remember correctly. Not charm, but uh, some 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 persuasion checks. That's the yeah. kind of thing I want. I don't want them focused on kind of turning over every stone. I want the players in that game especially focused on, okay, here's a new problem. How do I solve it? Here's the big yeah. problem. How do we solve that? And they're just in their own. They're both great. And there's more kinds of games than just these two, but they're both great. It's just understanding your kind of game, because if I turn around and in my game, start dropping them a little hints in, I want you to pick up. It's not going to work no. because I have, no, I have not no. taught them no. that that's how you play this game. Um, I mean, I might, I might catch it because I'm keeping on notes like I yeah. did with Tone's game. So Tony, what do you, have you, have you, ex, what has your been your experience so far, like running with Storm Kings with a level of party that's, that's pretty experienced players at this point. When we're talking about this, like this idea of like, you know, you have like the big stuff you have to do quest wise, but then the little details and they can get lost if people aren't paying attention. Honestly, as a DM, one of my weaknesses is because I am a very Tolkien inspired individual with my storytelling <laughs> is that I unfortunately throw out too much information sometimes. And yeah, if they're missing the big details, just forget about the small details. And that could be very disastrous to your plot. Um, with your story, Dave and Ravenloft, I intentionally took a character who was not going to be solving the mysteries. He's not, because I mean, <laughs> because I met Strahd in four out of five editions of Dungeons and Dragons. I read his autobiography. Like, I'm not going to learn anything new about Ravenloft or Strahd. So, I, well, I can separate all that in character. I'll leave that thinking to the other players. Right. Um, you could just have fun in the world instead. Yeah. To, to be fair, my character in Storm King's Thunder is sort of the same way. He is a martial character. He will interact. He will be a leader. But yeah, he's not getting into, he doesn't get deep into searching or anything like that. One yeah. thing that I love about the printed material is a little off topic, but this is also ties into bigger picture with DMing and, and philosophy is the concept of the milestone XP. That mm. absolutely sets us free. Why wasn't this here before? If it was, it was on page 197 <laughs> handbook. I don't know whoever read all the, the fourth edition stuff anyway without their their face melting, like opening the Ark of the Covenant. But um, you know what's funny about is... the milestone? What's funny about that? I've noticed the milestone leveling levels you way faster than the XP leveling. Yes way, and no. Way yes faster. and no. Uh, no. I will say this, especially with the published ones, because what's often happening is the adventure is really built for, like like Strahd, is really built for third-level characters. Uh, as, uh, Storm Kings, I think it's probably built more for, like, fifth level. So they fifth, try yeah. to get you there as quickly mm -hmm. as possible. So they, they, really, they really ramp it up. But with that said, especially in 4E... Um, I found myself building encounters. I'm like, okay, so I want to try to level these guys up. They've been sixth level for two games now. I want to get them to seventh. How many monsters do I need to cram into this encounter <laughs> that I can justify leveling them up? And now they're like, the hell with that crap. You know what? Did they move to this point in the story? Great. You're level seven. And that's fantastic. That makes this run so much smoother. Otherwise, you're not constantly throwing monsters through the grinder trying to level. Yeah. 
Well, it's funny because it actually came up in our last game. Uh, the party had been fifth level, I think, right, Dave? Is that right? You guys, you guys went from yeah. fifth to sixth, right? We just moved to sixth, yeah. So I'm playing all these games with you guys where we're using milestone leveling. I'm going up a, a level, an adventure, and I come into the game I'm running with them wanting to level everyone every two to three adventures um, and realizing as we've hit fifth level and now sixth level that it was blocking out. It wasn't, we weren't leveling every two to three adventures. We were leveling much slower than that. So I actually came in in the beginning and just said, all right, you guys are all having a dream. And we had a dream that, that, that divulged some interesting information about the plot. And then I just gave them all the, uh, what they needed to level. Like I actually yeah. find, I, I feel like the creature XP, especially as we're moving forward is too low. Like I'm constantly in a situation. I constantly find like if I just let it go by Amen. creature XP, and I'm always taking these guys to the limit. Like my my encounters are usually pretty tough. I have a good feel for how much do I need to throw at you, so oh, I'm gonna yeah. run you almost to the end. And they'll go through like three or four. They'll go through like six hard, almost done, almost killing people fights and not level. And I'm like, all right, I gotta throw some. I gotta throw some XP in here. And it's not like missing by 50 it's like missing by like 50 percent you know i just i feel like the xp rewards are pretty low and i feel like the milestone leveling ramps you up much faster but maybe it's just we haven't gotten that deep into these well there's two things i would say there first of all if we were playing every week i'd say go ahead let it ride let the xp stand where it is and it's not a mm. problem if we're playing every other week or god forbid like we were every month i mean i'm leveling up there was times i was leveling up every three games and i'm like holy crap there's i not think most a... adult gaming is monthly i, I, I feel oh, like as, as a 40 year old i, I, feel I like would agree with you yeah, I think monthly. The, uh, the plague has changed it a little bit but yeah I feel like most the, the 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 most common time frame to get a, a group together in person is usually once a month. That just seems to be the way it is. Um, but it's fun uh, that we're playing every two weeks now. Uh, no, I, oh, I, God, I, I yes. love it. Um, there's really no good formula for a character solving a problem and getting relevant XP. There yeah, just isn't. Yeah. Like you'd be like, oh, he solved a great, he solved a tough problem. Give him 300 XP. Well, if I'm level two or three, that's incredible. If I'm level 11, I'm like, thanks. Doesn't the DMG have something about giving XP to problem solving based on like, or like to like trap solving based on like CR level of the trap? It does. But the problem is I, I agree with Tony with the XP. I would like to see, because they're very, they're very uh, delineated about what XP each monster is and what XP goes to the next level. I would like... They, they've always talked about story-based awards and things like that, but they never gave enough of a, like, this is what we're really talking about, you know? Um, mm -hmm. Where I've done, I've done before, I've done campaigns where I did all Milestone, and I actually, it, it drew back for me. I felt like it, it took away a little bit from the players because it didn't feel maybe as earned. And then when Thorin with your game, it was pure XP. And I was like, this is actually kind of nice because if somebody does something additional, they're going to, I don't know, it's, it's, you're collecting that. But yeah. I, I have found with these Storm Kings and Strahd, I like a mixture because I know in, for instance, with Curse of Strahd, they allow you to, they do the milestones. Okay. You're a level here and a level here and a level here. 
But if they do this, if they find that, this is worth 1,500 XP per player. This, right? Okay. So they give you things where if you find certain things, you're going to blast a level. And then all of a sudden, you're much more powerful than maybe you you were going to be. You know, so you were going to get your ass handed to you, but you did really good. So now <laughs> maybe you stand a <laughs> chance kind of thing, you know? And get I her ass handed like to us. That. I don't think so. I, I, I wouldn't. I don't think you should ever throw away XP completely because I think milestone leveling leaves it completely up to the DM and it takes too much away from the players because they don't feel like necessarily like, what am I experiencing other than your story? See, I feel, I agree with that actually. And and from the first time they started talking about milestone XP, which is back in second edition uh, around the same time. I mean, I remember you started hearing about milestone XP around the same time you started hearing about the storyteller system that they eventually spun Dragonlance off into. And mm. I don't know how many people remember that, but I mean, that's the, I remember when that happened and that was a big deal. And around that time they did talk about things like, like, like milestone XP. I don't love it because it does feel like, like you say, my player's development is now entirely hinged on the DM story. As a DM, as you've seen me do, I award XP, but I have a pace in mind. And if you're not there, I'm going to throw reward, awards in. And I do I do think you should reward people with extra XP for any time they solve a combat encounter without killing something. Like if you, if you, if you get something to run away, you're getting full XP for that. If you yeah. talk your way around an encounter, if you sneak around an encounter, you're getting full XP for the monsters if you defeated them. Um, that is, that is always something I've done and I will throw in bonuses. And I feel like the only way to keep people leveling at a good pace, uh, for a monthly game or a biweekly game is to significantly bonus, you know, it's, you know, well, they, 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 they completed this part of the adventure today. I'm going to throw in 5,000 X bonus XP for the party for that, because yeah. if I want you to level every two to three levels, every two to three sessions and the session is five or six hours, you know, I'm finding I can't fit enough fights in to get you there on the regular XP system. Tony, Tony well, that, could. Tony could well, that, fit in enough fights. Well, that really ties into <laughs> what is your group's philosophy on this? Mm-hmm. Like you, like we talked about, like not getting enough things done. Well, you know what? Honestly, if we're going to have a six-hour session and you know people need time to get their character sheets together at the time of the game and we're going to break for lunch in three hours and all this stuff and we're going to hit a milestone at the end of the game if we accomplish enough and we're going to level – that's great, but if I'm gonna, I'm getting XP primarily based on just encounters, and you know Bob's character sheet's not ready. I'm like giving the stink eye. I'm like, bro, we're playing monthly. Like, <laughs> you're killing me, Smalls. Yeah, that is, you know, and it's it's a tricky thing when you have players who are, you know, and that's something we should come back to. How do you DM these different kinds of players? DMing Power Gamers is probably its own episode. DMing uh, more casual players is probably its own episode. DMing players who aren't ready is probably its own episode. Because these are all very specific challenges. And you want to make sure everyone has fun. Uh, I really think that's an important part of being a DM. And this can put you in situations where player A can't have fun if player B does this thing. But if player B gets pushed, player B is not going to have fun. And it's tough, you know, it's, um, mm. and we're not here. This is not a job. This is not a business. This is, I'm not, uh, yeah, technically the DM's the boss, but you're not here to boss anyone around, you know, <laughs> not, yeah. not for, no, you know, there's no fees involved here. I'm not, I'm not here to crack a whip. Um, yeah, if you're not having fun, why exactly are you coming? You know? Exactly. 
So it's so yeah. it's. I mean, those are all DM challenges. I think we should get to another time. Frankly, I think these yeah. are great. I think those yeah. are episodes we will cover, and we'll talk about, or we'll we'll give our best, you know, advice on those things some other time. I do want to wrap back before we wrap up this episode and come out with some concrete tips on roll twenty. Uh, so some of the things we discussed that had problems and how we solved them. Let's start with. Um, the problem with players not being able to connect on the Roll20 system. Uh, that was a real problem in my game. Seven players, several of them could not get on the Roll20 chat and video. They weren't showing up to each other. Uh, and the solution we came up with, this works really well, is we set up a separate Zoom account, a uh, separate Zoom chat. Uh, everyone gets together in Zoom. Zoom has not had a problem getting that group together. Everyone can see each other and talk just fine. And then we use Roll20 for the tabletop and for the character stuff. Uh, everyone in Roll20 turns off their broadcasting, so you're not broadcasting voice or video. You handle that all in Zoom in a separate window, and you use Roll20 for, for the characters. And that's been our big solution there. So what are some other specific problems we've had that we've solved? So, Tony, you had the mapping problem, right? Yes, I would like to advise once you're editing your maps, be super careful, uh, especially when you hit that delete button, because you could be like, oh, I'll delete this token, and I delete the map. We've already discussed that. That is a concern. You have to make sure if you're moving a token, you've got the right aspect of the Roll20 software selected, so you're not pushing the whole map around. Um, also, when you're in an encounter, I recommend using like-type creatures that way, they're all in the same drop-down menu. It's much easier to access, and it's not bogging down your encounter. Great. What about you, Dave? So uh, what about uh, – have you run into any of these kind of Roll20 problems and have found solutions for them? Yeah, I mean, to tell you the truth, uh, like I said in the beginning, I am a, I'm a big fan of what Roll20 has, has put together. Um, I, I do wonder how much more uh, robustness would be if we uh, – if I uh, took a subscription to it. So I'd be interested in finding that. Um, my biggest thing has been some of the tech issues though on the AV side of things. Uh, and I have heard from multiple players who play a lot on these that that is seems to always be an issue. So they'll do like we do Zoom, they'll do mm -hmm. Skype, they'll do Discord. Uh, just immediately set it up. But prior to, just like you would do in the beginning of a campaign, to have a session zero, you know, you're creating characters, you're giving a sense of what the world is, you're getting a sense for everyone. Um, do a session zero for Roll20 too. Take 15 minutes, have everyone log on, see what happens. See if you can. In Tony's game, everyone can get in, no problem. In both of our other games, not a chance. So yeah. figure that out so that game one, you don't spend the first hour figuring out all the tech stuff and okay, send a zoom, figure it out then, then go get zoom, get Skype, get discord, whatever you like to use. They're excellent systems or all those platforms are pretty much free to use at this point. Yeah. Um, and get yourself set up. So game one, like Tony says, you can drop and, and begin right away. But it's, I, if, if you guys haven't played yet in this is, I would highly recommend it. It's, it's really gives something different to the entire experience yeah. and something I did. I thought it, I was going to hate it and I am loving it. I'm just really loving it. Not the least of which just being able to commute in 13 seconds to, uh, to the game. You know? Oh yeah. Good luck getting me back to a table after this. I'm so spoiled. Yeah. And I don't have to drive home after it. Nothing. I just, there I am. I'm done. Yeah. I miss You're the not... energy. I miss the energy at the table though. It's just, uh, nah, it doesn't mean that. Yeah. You know, live I, I really do miss it. My... 
Well, but that also, as I said, I'm still rolling physical dice because I want to be at the table. But, but you know, this yeah, is think, something – the digital stuff really does give something. So I would definitely give it a yeah. try and throw a little something at Roll20. Grab, grab one of the modules. Uh, play through it. Play through a one-shot. It's They give you a ton of stuff. Yeah, I don't – I, I do find in my experience, I've, I'm enjoying Roll20. I'm really enjoying playing in Roll20. I don't know if that Brontosaurus encounter happens in Roll20. I don't know if the thing we talked about last episode, where the players in the in the other game went and assass went and snuck into the kingdom to assassinate the vampire general, sneaking through his camp and kind of masquerading their way in to get him. I don't think those games happen in Roll20, and that's kind of my that's the one mm-hmm. thing I don't like about it. When at, in my style of DMing, where I'm really throwing it back to the players, okay, what are you guys going to do? Come up with something creative, or, or you know, come up with you tell me how this advances. In Roll20, I don't feel like I'm getting the same kind of player interaction I did face to face. There's not that huge tension, you know. There's not that everyone at the table's terrified of what's going to happen if they get stomped on by a brontosaurus. There's not that okay, how can we? There's not the tension of how can I sneak through all these military checkpoints without getting revealed. You can say there's tension. You can describe it the same way. I don't feel like the energy's quite the same. Oh, uh, I understand that. I understand but, that. Yeah. But we'll be back to the table soon enough. You know, COVID, COVID will pass and we'll be back to gaming at gaming tables pretty soon, I think. And I, I, I can't wait for that day as a DM, as a player, <laughs> roll 20 is fine. <laughs> <laughs> you know, one other thing that has come up in all these games is, you know, players with different technology levels. So several of these games have, you know, frankly, older players um, who are not, who, who are getting into DM, who are getting into D and D a little bit late in uh, device wise. Sometimes they're playing on odd devices. So I would say one of the things I like about roll 20, it, the base version does not work on your phone, but it does work on an iPad. Uh, some mm. of our players play off of iPad. It works on a lot of laptops uh, it works on even older computers, so long as you don't have the same problems I'm having with the memory and the uh, with, with the amount of memory to run it. Um, and that's actually really nice. Uh, so you know, keep that in mind too. Like I, I have, there are players who we can have come in because they have they may not have a great computer, but they have an iPad and they can just pop it on the iPad and play that way. We have at least one guy who does that. Um, so that's really nice about it. So yeah, yeah. All right. Anything else we want to cover on Roll Twenty? I think uh, we about done for the for for this episode. No, I think we did a lot of great. We, I mean, we really blew the doors off it. You know, I mean, we most, pretty much solved the problems of the world. You're welcome, world. This is You're the most welcome. epic Roll Twenty podcast you've ever heard. Oh, forget about it. They're probably <laughs> going to put it on their site, you know, as like a tutorial. I'm going to think something hey, like that. <laughs> Dave, Tony, thanks a lot for stopping by and talking about this today. I had a great time. Good all right, guys. And thank you all for listening. We will catch you next time. Three Wise DMs get together. Keep an eye out for it wherever podcasts are served. And go to our website, threewisedms.com, if you want to see our articles that we talked about. Uh, leave us a comment. We would love to hear what kinds of issues you'd like us for, us to, for us to cover, so you can leave that at threewisedms.com. You can also contact us at threewisedms at gmail.com if you want to drop us an email. We hope to hear from you before the next episode. If not, well, we'll catch you next time with Three Wise DMs. 